Welcome to another episode of the Duke Basketball Corner Podcast. I am your host, Adam Comero, as usual, and I'm going solo for this episode, and it wasn't the plan, but I did try to record with Joe on Thursday night, and I don't know, sometimes technology just does its own thing, has a mind of its own, and you couldn't, it was just impossible to hear Joe clearly, so... It is what it is. I, I wasn't, unfortunately, able to uh, record a solo at that point the same night. but uh, And last night I was busy, so I'm actually recording this Saturday morning. And while you could say that, hey, Duke plays later tonight, I mean, what's the point? Might as well wait another day. I kind of like to do this um, in the moment to kind of track and see how see where the thoughts were at certain times in the season. And Georgia Tech... I felt was a game that has a ton of value in terms of how to evaluate Duke. And I don't want to wait till whatever happens after Wake Forest because I just think it takes away some of that feeling because you could say, oh, well, this happened and that, so you can't really say that. But like, I want to actually be able to look back and kind of see how I felt in the moment after Georgia Tech. And so that is why... I am doing this on a early on a Saturday morning right now. So before I actually get into my thoughts on the game, first I do I do want to just say that uh, hopefully everyone enjoyed the uh, 2010s, the Deep Dive Decade podcast. It was a lot of fun doing it. It was a lot of work. I, I appreciate Ray joining me for it. It was quite, uh, it was quite the marathon. And uh, one thing, there was a bit of difference if anybody noticed from the typical facts and stats being given out compared to what I said. I don't know. Maybe it was a mistake. Uh, I mean, you could argue, yes, it was. I mean, officially, I did give incorrect information. What I did was decide to make it 10 full seasons. I made it the 2009-2010 season all the way through the 2018-2019 season. So that's where all my stats came from. So that's why, like, uh, you may have heard uh, it announced that K won 300 games during the decade, whereas I said 299. The official way to do it, I guess the correct way, would be to split up the 2009-2010 season and just take the 2010 aspect and split up this season. Don't take the 2020 aspect of it. Just put the uh, just take the facts and stats on the on the 2019 portion. So that I just want to kind of get out of the way there. So, um, but hopefully you did enjoy because uh, yeah, there's a lot of good stuff along with that. There's a couple things um, in terms of I mean I really haven't done a current team pod actually since the new year since uh, I believe I was recording with Ray. Right after Duke beat Wofford, and I think Trey was out for Wofford, he was out for uh, BC. So, I mean, at that point, there wasn't much to take away anyways, even even though I'm sure many tried. And even Miami was just like, oh my God, they just, I mean, they beat them down. And while those games are fun, I think, uh, I mean, unless it's occurring like every game, then you just have to say, like, this is what it is. I'm going to look for whatever I can in case Duke is showing something that when they play a closed team, it could come back to bite them. But 
I was not expecting Duke to roll every team. I think many were. I think the, well, I'll go into, I do have a big thought on that. But, uh, yeah, so, I mean, there has been a bunch of stuff that's happened recently. So, uh, first, let's uh, get into a couple things. Let me uh, click up. I have uh, I have it organized a bit here. All right. So, first of all, Zion was on the J.J. Reddick pod, uh, Zion Williamson. And it's the first time he, I mean, he's really kind of stayed out of any sort of public eye in terms of at least speaking wise and he hasn't given his thoughts on much of anything and I, I guess he just kind of wanted to wanted to keep a low profile especially after the injury and some of what he said though it's still it's still made a big wave in the college basketball world and the pro and the NBA world and everything because it's Zion and I, he's going to attract attention with whatever he says so he, he was talking about how he really did want to stay at Duke. He, uh, I think his parents basically said, he, you work too hard for this. You should go. And I think he said Kay was tell, telling him to go. I mean, there's never a thought while he was injured after uh, blowing through the shoe that he would uh, shut it down for the year. So, I mean, these are, these are, this is stuff that it's great to hear. It's great to hear he was enjoying at his time. At, he was enjoying his time at Duke. I mean, even enough to want to come back, which carries a big risk. Which is why I would assume the advice was given to him to go early. It's about to, I mean, there's pros, there's cons, and the uh, pros of going early far outweigh. So, I mean, to a much much lesser level. I mean, you look at someone like uh, Frank Jackson, who, if he if he had stayed at Duke. And he had gotten, uh, if he had needed surgery the way he did pretty much immediately in the NBA, then, I mean, he wouldn't have even been able, like, he just would have been out. Like, he wouldn't have been able to, uh, I mean, that he wouldn't have been on the Pelicans. So, Zion, I mean, if he had, I don't, like, I don't know when his knee injury occurred, but if that had happened at Duke, oof, the takes, the takes would have been, uh, out of hand right there. So I just think it's better to get the guaranteed money while you can. And it's really hard to find examples of guys that have been high lottery picks who have stayed and it's worked out. I mean, the only one I can think of is actually, you could say uh, a Duke player, um, at least since uh, kind of, uh, I would say since like the 98 type of period um and that would be jay williams because before then i mean there was guys just stayed i mean look at Shaq's sophomore year i mean it's it's insane that he stayed for his junior year if you look at his stats his sophomore year but in terms of i guess at least since the uh turn of the century 2000 um jay williams stayed for his uh junior year and he wasn't hurt that way but it's it's a big risk and I just think it's a mistake to compare his situation to anyone else to try to uh, argue about how I just think it's like when people argue kind of from their team's point of view, it doesn't make any sense. I think you just got to see it from Zion's perspective and think about it rationally in that sense. Like if somebody if somebody else is saying like 
Duke forced him to go pro or for, or they're just paying him or whatever they're saying. Like, who cares? Like, I don't think it makes any difference. It's too, people make too big a deal out of, I don't know, weird, weird fan fighting, which I don't know. Anyway. Um, yeah. So that, that basically, it's great to hear what he had to say, but we've been hearing that since Jabari Parker, who claimed he was, he really wanted to stay. He was so close to staying and every year it's like that. So, but I mean, they end up going. So I don't really care how close they were. It's great that they were close, but I don't care how close they were if they ended up going because it's bottom line, they ended up going. Um, well, I mean, yes, yeah, since I said it's been a while since I've recorded, Wendell Moore obviously suffered a fracture of the fourth metacarpal bone in his right hand in the Miami game, late in the Miami game. I think it swelled up after. So the, I think the timeline uh, is about six to eight weeks. So I'm hoping hopefully maybe February 28th against Wake Forest, though maybe a more realistic date would be March 2nd against NC State. But that's just wild guesses. I, I have no idea. But either way, it's super unfortunate because Wendell is someone who I have continuously said, yes, he is someone who you're going to pull your hair out watching him and he's going to make a ton of mistakes in terms of turnovers, in terms of uh, shoot, shooting errors, in terms of just a lot of stuff, but it's going to be worth it in the long run. It will absolutely be worth it. Kind of one step back to move two steps forward. And you could see his potential at times. You could see how the value he could bring to this team, especially with his versatility. I mean, he could he can guard one through four. And I had said on, on the podcast, I said, like, I would really love to see him, at least situationally, play the four a lot at times. I mean, there was the one game against Virginia Tech where, the, where that was a very specific kind of matchup based. But I thought that could he could do that a lot more as well. And by the time he comes back, you're just hoping that he can provide a positive impact in some way, no matter what. But it's really unfortunate that he can't get these early ACC games under his belt because, I mean, they would have been huge. And uh, as I'll talk about in a minute, in terms of Duke's schedule, there's a very limited amount of games he played, which really tested him. So, I mean, it was great that he got time on the court, but it's very different when you play against teams that are of a higher level. Um, another thing, uh, Der- Derek Thornton, uh, when Duke played BC and Derek came back to uh, Boston College, one one thing I have uh, actually done a really good job on, in my opinion, is I kind of just really stay away from all the social media stuff um, this season. The only like I'll maybe offer like a comment or two during games, but outside of that, like unless someone like starts like going personally at a Duke player, and I'm talking like Duke fans, like I don't, whatever other fans do, like whatever, um, then maybe I'll say something. But outside of that, I really stay away, which is kind of, it's, I mean, it sucks. I used to really love, uh, I mean, I live tweeted games for almost a decade and I was all about that, but it's just the, it's, it's become too negative and I just don't want a part of it. And I did see it back, like a lot of, bringing up what happened when uh, Derek, just before Derek transferred. And I think there's a lot of misinformation that was spread. I understand what was written by someone 
who was close to him, not his uncle. If you think that was his uncle, then that just shows how little you know. So I just think even besides that, a lot besides that, I don't think people know what they're talking about. No matter what kind of propaganda was reported in terms of like from certain people who report for Duke and they're reporting it for a reason, it's not true. So unless you specifically know what happened in the situation, just let the kid live. That's, that's all. I, like, I'm not trying to argue for or against him, but I know what's true and I know what is, what isn't true. And I just think it's not hard to just stay out of the way. That's all I have to say about that. And I don't lecture fans on what to do. This is like really rare. And I will, I will say like, cause, uh, there in, in the, in the decade pod, I actually left out, I recorded two things, which I left out after I had finished recording. There was just a solo that I was going to attach. And one was kind of an explanation of how I didn't put, uh, my, I, I didn't add kind of my feelings of how I thought about the team at certain stages in every single season because I covered them because I just didn't want to make it about me. I wanted it to be straightforward, just kind of, I wanted it to be lasting where everyone can go back and kind of just hear how it went. Um, and the other thing was, despite how social media has become so big, I, I didn't want to include a lot of how fans and media and all that in, in terms of how they were reacting, because I just, I see mostly negativity. So I just didn't want to add that on. I mean, there was one thing that I think it's because Ray commented about uh, Tatum, and I, I did too. I left that in, but besides that, like it just, I thought it was best to stay away from that area. And in my, like, I think it's eight years of doing these podcasts, there's only been two episodes ever, which I have recorded without any technical deficiencies and uh, decided just, no, I'm not going to post it. And both of those were kind of the relationship between fans, players, uh, media, coaches, refs, like everyone, and how I, how I find it interesting, intriguing, and even at some, at sometimes frustrating, a lot of times frustrating. And I just, did, I just didn't feel comfortable with how I came off. And it wasn't because I was ashamed of anything I said, but it's just, I don't know, it's a tough topic for me to totally express exactly how I feel. But uh, if, 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 it's, if it's in demand, if, you, if, if anybody wants to request it, then I will do something like that, either maybe during Duke's off Saturday in a couple weeks or in the off season after after this season because I do think it's an interesting subject, but I think you have to be careful with, with uh, a subject like that. So yeah, if you're interested, email Duke Basketball Corner at Gmail. All right, so the ACC is not doing well. I mean, ugh. I mean, Virginia lost to Pittsburgh right after uh, Capel got the extension at Pitt. Great for him. I mean, Carolina, where they eight and seven now. It is just brutal. Right now, I mean, it's, I don't know. I mean, Roy called UNC the least talented team he's ever coached, I believe, at least at UNC. I'm not sure why that was necessary. I actually looked it up to see if there was more context, and there really wasn't. So I think it's pretty obvious that it's the least talented team, but, I mean, Cole Anthony could have 
at least given them a big lift. I mean, obviously they're struggling without Cole Anthony, but I don't think him saying that really helped. Plus, who recruited the players? I mean, obviously some of them were his assistants, but still, he's responsible for who's there. And he has taken uh, accountability for everything after every game. But I just think that was a weird comment to make. But, I mean, right now, I mean, you got Louisville, you got uh, Florida State, you got Duke, and I, and I, I mean, Virginia's still in, obviously. Man, it is a weak year. I mean, NC State, they're, they're still, you know they're going to end up on the bubble. So they're, they're just going to be uh, an interesting team to, to watch out for. And I think that just gets to kind of my big opinion, which is we don't know anything yet. I mean, we know some based on what we've seen, and we haven't seen much. I mean, if you want to project forward based on certain aspects, that's fine. But... There, I think it's just there's so much that we don't know. I mean, right? Like, this is the longest Duke has ever gone in the Kempom era. And who knows longer without playing a top 100 team at home. Wake is number 95. They are the first top 100 team Duke will play at home. Uh, uh, neutral, they played number two, Kansas, which was, I mean, first game of the season. I said the same thing last year with Kentucky where it's just random. I don't think there's any takeaways there, especially because Kansas played a lineup. They're not playing much. And uh, Georgetown, I think like half the team like <laughs> quit after that game. So uh, those were the two neutral games, two top 50 games away. They played number three, Michigan State, number 61, Virginia Tech, number 89, Miami, and number 89, 85, uh, number 85, Georgia Tech. So they played uh, one top 50 team away and uh, four total top 100 teams away, and uh, Michigan State, that Cassius uh, Winston, he was going through some stuff, which I, I don't want to even hint that I'm taking away anything from Duke's win, but he is actually coming back strong now. You can see, I mean, he's been through a tough time. I went over uh, the article I read about uh, this, how he's dealing with his uh, brother's death, and it is just... Man, I feel for the guy. It's 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 rough. It is really rough for him and his family. It must be. So, hopefully, basketball can be his solace of sorts. But the bottom line is, how many NCAA tournament teams has Duke played so far? I mean, they've played Kansas and they played Michigan State. And Kansas, like I said, first game of the season. Who knows? So, and Mich- Michigan State. Hey, I'll, I'll give them that. That's a quality win, especially away. Virginia Tech, I don't know. I mean, I would lean no at this point. And, yeah, that's it. So, if you're saying Duke is the best team in the country when they've played two NCAA tournament teams and one of them was on just that random first game of the season, like, you are really reaching. Like, I think that's what the overreaction to polls. I've never understood that. So I think it's great to be happy with how Duke's done. Duke has done fantastic. I mean, college basketball, they're, they're, it's, a, it's a really down year. I mean, at this point, there's been enough of a sample size. To say it's, a, it's, a, it's a down year, and a lot of that has to do with there's just the players aren't quite at that level. But Duke's beating the teams in front of them, and that's all, and that's all you can do. But uh, and outside of – I mean, there's FSU – and Louisville at home. That's who Duke's going to play at home. And, and UVA away. 
But man, there's no guarantees of like playing other NCAA tournament teams. I mean, they're state. But uh, I, last season, I said in November, the true start to the season would be January 18th versus Louisville. I'm sorry, January 12th at FSU. This season, I think the true start will be uh, January 18th versus Louisville. So that will be a, a better test. So we'll see how that goes. But I think there's just not been nearly enough to be able to, I guess, argue who's definitely the best, who's not. I just think there's a long way to go before anyone says anything definitive. All right. So, uh, yeah, Wake Forward, they, Duke actually has 899 career wins at Cameron Indoor. So I'm sure that'll be mentioned that Duke might get uh, win number 900. But let's get into the Georgia Tech game now. The Georgia Tech game, the intensity, I love it. I love it. I mean, Duke's only played. I mean, there was Kansas. There was Stephen F. Austin. There's moments in Georgetown, but uh, overall not too intense. Uh, And then there's Georgia Tech. So... Yeah, there, ha- there hasn't been many. I-, I love it, man. And I don't think Duke played down to Georgia Tech's level at all. I think Georgia Tech is a really physical, really elite defensive team. And with Alvarado, I, I-, I love that guy. He reminds me, I mean, I hate to make the Latin Latin comp, but uh, he reminds me a lot of Jose Calderon. And he was actually doing some moves where, I mean, kind of keeping uh, – the defenders in jail. I mean, it's so impressive. Luka Doncic has just mastered it right now, where he comes off the pick and roll, gets into the lane, keeps uh, the initial defender on his hip, and uh, the defender in front of him kind of in no man's land, and just toys with him in the lane. It is wild. Yeah, so, I mean, he, he was doing that, keeping the defense in jail to a certain extent. I mean, they are a different team with him, still very limited. But I, I, it, I don't think that it should have been too unexpected. I think Kay actually said beforehand this game's going to be tough. I mean, Miami was what it was. But uh, I think uh, with this game, it came down to uh, before Duke played Georgia Tech, many were saying that... that uh, you never knew where the huge production was going to come from. You could beat you in so many different ways. I mean, actually, they had had eight players with with uh, over 15-point halves this season before Georgia Tech. Uh, two by Vern, two by Cassius, two by Hurt, one by Trey, and one by Baker. So that's pretty impressive. That does show, like, guys can just light it up at, at random times. You never know. This game, there were no individual explosions. It was more Duke had to win with everyone making contributions. And they had to do it because of everyone making uh, huge contributions at different times, <clears throat> excuse me, in their specific uh, roles. So it was really the first 10 minutes of the half and then the second 10 minutes of the half for each. First 10 minutes of the first half, Georgia Tech 18 14. For, uh, first half, second 10 minutes, Duke 26 13. Second half, first 10 minutes, Georgia Tech, 22-10. Second half, uh, second 10 minutes, Duke, 23-13. So overall, the first 10 minutes of the halves combined, Georgia Tech beat Duke 40-29, or outscored Duke. 
This uh, the second ten minutes of the halves, Duke outscored Georgia Tech forty nine to twenty six. That's huge. So kind of showed uh, what I'll mention is one of the biggest uh, X factors, which was just bench on both sides. I think in terms of Duke, their strategy, what had the biggest impact was just how Vern, he wasn't what he's been um, in most of the games. He's usually been dominant. Why? Because he's bigger than everyone. I mean, that's pretty much what it gets down to. He's super skilled. But if you look at the if you look at other skilled big men that he's played against, I mean, Kansas is mostly Azubuki with uh, McCor- some McCormick, some DeSosa thrown in. Uh, Georgetown, Omer Yurtseven, and uh, Georgia Tech, James Banks, who is insane on defense. I mean, he, at least he's uh, one of the top five defensive big men in the country. Offense is another story, but defense, he's on, he's on another planet. So Vern had trouble with him. Same way he had trouble with Yurtseven, same way he had trouble with Azubuki. So for everyone saying Vern should be player of the year, I mean, yeah, when he has uh, the huge advantage in terms of size and strength and uh, everything, yeah, he's put up monster numbers. And I'm not trying to take anything away just because he has the advantage there. But you can see why in certain draft projections, when he's played against uh, some of the more skilled big men, he's had, he's had, his, uh, he's had some tough times. But that's not saying he can't improve. I mean, I'm not saying this proves that he's not any good. I'm just saying we have to remember that, according to Kay, this is the first year he's ever played in the post. He started playing in the post when he got to Duke in the summertime. So he's still learning how to adjust. And he made some great moves against Banks. But overall, Duke's strategy of kind of give it to Kerry and play through him, they couldn't do that. They, they couldn't do that, and so they had to rely on other aspects. So I think that was by far the biggest difference in terms of uh, how they had to change. Uh, the biggest team's X factors, I would say the bench, by far, by far the bench, because even without Wendell Moore, I mean, Duke, Duke went deep. Even with uh, Joey Baker, I mean... It's, it's interesting. The last time, I was actually thinking to myself, when has a player started a game and played less than five minutes without being injured? Like, I mean, maybe a senior night way back when, when KU used to do that. But I, I, I don't know. I was thinking then, then it actually kind of struck me like, oh, wait, there's two kind of recent times. I mean, at least five minutes, uh, Hurt versus uh, Georgetown. He played five minutes and then he was benched after starting. And Alex O'Connell actually versus Michigan State last year in, um, in the Elite Eight. They, it was kind of up in the air in, uh, in terms of whether Cam Reddish would play. Alex O'Connell did start. He ended up playing three minutes in that game. So it was interesting. But Baker, yeah, he played like two and a half minutes, went out. Then he came back in uh, later and turned the ball over once, and Kay took him out again. I just, it, it frustrates me when guys get pulled immediately after a mistake. Maybe there's other stuff going on. Maybe there's more context. But 
I would really like Baker to be able to play through some of this stuff because who knows what would have happened. Duke was up 66-64 with like 245 left. DeVoe had an open three in transition. If he makes that, if Duke loses, we're starting to think about what could have been different. And Baker, the same way that against uh, Stephen F. Austin, he was pulled real quickly after a mistake. Yeah. You have to wonder, I mean, yeah, you trust Kay, but at the same time, Baker can be a weapon, even as poor as he shot. I thought he's provided actually great energy, and just the threat of him shooting is uh, a big advantage. So that was uh, that was something I noticed. But yeah, even with uh, Baker um, not, playing in, uh, not playing much and Wendell Moore obviously out, I mean, the bench w- was a huge difference. I mean... Bubba Parnum is a backup point guard who can be productive at times. He's obviously not Alvarado. Um, but he actually ended up pretty much playing with the uh, with the main guys most of the time. Because, I mean, no disrespect to Jordan Usher, but it's kind of hard to remember any kind of play he was involved in, despite, I think he played 21 minutes. And when you check the box score, it kind of makes sense that I don't really remember much. And I, while I totally understand and appreciate the glue guys whose impact go beyond stats, I'm really I'm not sure that applies with Usher. But yeah, I mean, besides that, it's Evan Cole and Khalid Moore. They just don't have much at all. At all. I mean, especially when um, Moses Wright went out with like three fouls uh, in, the, in the first half. And it's just, it's kind of already like desperation time for Georgia Tech at that point. So when, when you look at the end of the game and how Duke and uh, Georgia Tech where, where they make uh, one out of their last 15 shots I think that had, that has a lot to do with it Duke made seven of their last 10 Georgia Tech missed their last 11 14 of their last 15 so yeah I mean that was a difference I mean the biggest I mean the runs were huge I mean down well I'll talk about the reason but uh, uh, they were down 2016 with 918 left in the first half over five minutes and twenty-five seconds, they went on eighteen to two run to go up thirty uh, to go up thirty-four uh, twenty-two, including a twelve-zero run in that period, and uh, yeah, they finished the game on a seven-zero run there. So I mean, those two runs were the difference. Um, another thing was efficient offensive transition. Despite what many think, Duke has not been a good off uh, a, a good transition team on offense this year. And that's putting it lightly. They've been awful, like really awful in terms of efficiency. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that they keep trying to run off of opponent missed shots. And it really doesn't work. They, they usually end up chucking threes because they're not great at finishing through contact. And when you're running off a missed shot and you don't have the advantage, the man advantage, then you're going to have to score through contact. It's not like a steal where typically you're going to have a fast break advantage. So usually they end up chucking threes and it doesn't work. So Duke has really not been good at all. I mean, it ended like it got to the low point after Brown where they were, they were ranked like around 300 something. Um, And that is not where you want to be, but it has slightly improved. And it was funny because Passner after the game, Josh Passner, Georgia Tech's head coach, he said Duke is an elite team on offense, elite transition team on offense, probably the best in the country. 
let's chill there, Josh. <laughs> like it's it's not quite to that level, but I mean this were this was the second best offensive transition game they've had in terms of efficiency. The only other is like Central Arkansas, which was kind of a stat skewer. So I mean Duke, uh, they were they they were out in transition. Uh, 12 times, scored 18 points, point and a half per possession. Can't argue with that. Scored a shot 7 of 10. So that actually put Duke's shooting percentage in transition at 50% for the first time this year, which is kind of wild. I mean, they've really been bad. Like, really, really been bad. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it's it's been, it's been a long climb back, and hopefully it, it's kind of like the way they are with three-pointers where I think the best thing to do is be judicious about when you take them. So, and and going with that, my uh, number three biggest team X factor after bench and efficient offensive transition was not chucking or forcing because Georgia Tech's defense is really good and especially inside with Banks and Moses Wright, it would have been really easy and many Duke teams in the past would have started chucking. Because going going down low against Banks is is not going to be fun. I mean, he had seven blocks and affected countless other shots. So I think uh, props to them for for not settling. I, I think that was a big deal. And what allows them to do that is confidence in the defense to know they're going to be able to have a good chance to stop Georgia Tech. There's not as much pressure to score on offense. So. It's six of 12 from three. I mean, that's super efficient. And I think it was two of three in uh, the second half. When you're not getting the typical kind of uh, easier points inside with, with Vernon Carey, yeah, you're going you're gonna to need easier points somehow. And that's where the transition points were, especially if fish came in useful because uh, free throws, Duke made, I believe, uh, five in, in the, uh, inside the last minute. Besides that, they made six total. So they weren't getting a whole bunch of free throws. And Trey had himself a rough day, 5 of 10. Duke as a team was 11 for 21 as a whole. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it really would have been easy to start chucking, so props to them for not doing that. Um, in terms of clutch, definitely Trey. I believe it was his birthday, turned 20, and... Uh, Duke, uh, the information, put out a weird stats collection. I mean, you can, so it's really interesting. You can just kind of collect stats and say, oh, first person to do blank. I mean, he was the first person to do, to have 16 plus points, eight plus rebounds, seven plus assists, four plus steals, and one plus block. So I think the bottom line is what that shows is just he was doing everything. And what I love most about that is the rebounds because Georgia Tech, I mean, they, their team, when we talk about the teams they had trouble, they've had trouble with, Kansas, Stephen F. Austin. Those are teams that had really skilled bigs inside. So when they're and with with bigs inside, those guys are going to be tough to rebound against. And Duke's power forward most of the time is not a physical person who a physical basketball player would. And I'll talk about that more. But Matt Matthew heard that's why Cassius and Trey. I mean, they're so big in terms of how they're not afraid to be physical, get in there, and, and rebound. Love that. X-Factors, Katja Stanley and Javin Deloria, not even close. Not even close. I mean, they were, I mean, not even close in terms of, like, 
they were far and away the X factors in terms of the difference makers. Oh, is, is, I mean, what they provided. I mean, Duke, they scored uh, something like, I mean, I, I mentioned how they only scored like 10 points in the first 10 minutes or 14 points in the, in the first 10 minutes of the, uh, well, let me, let me see exactly. First 10 minutes, um, they scored 14 points in the first 10 minutes of the game. Cassius really wasn't involved much. And then the 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 alley-oop from out of bounds it just lit a spark and that's what got the 18 to 2 run going huge and then the second half uh he was pulled because of what i will talk about and when he came back in he came back in with a flourish javin a lot of the transition was initiated because of him he provided that spark as well and uh both in both halves at the end of the game huge blocks some huge passes some uh, huge free throws. I mean, that's what Javin does. He's just kind of that alpha glue guy. Javin will not be appreciated by most people until he's gone. And that's really sad to me because, I mean, just stay with him in the moment, man. The guy, he it won't always show up in box scores. Most of the time, not. But what he does is crucial for Duke. Crucial. So, yeah. I, I mean, uh, in terms of their ability to just kind of make something happen when Every single point was tough. Big time. Really big time. All right, so I don't want uh, with with a limited time, I don't want to get too into too much into specifics, but I do want to mention this. I think the uh, a huge kind of a moment was early. Uh, Hurt was subbed out. Matthew Hurt was subbed out around 13:45 of the first half for Jack White. After Georgia Tech really made like five straight and they were centering their entire pick and roll attack around Hurt, and even though Jack played just a few moments, a few minutes before Hurt was put back in, it shows how important it is just to have someone like to have someone like uh, Jack White, who can be trusted to come in, settle things down, while Hurt gets some coaching or regathers himself on the bench because it was crazy intense, and you'd have to imagine that Hurt. He might be getting caught up in just the frustration of text. I mean, they're, everything they're doing is centered around him um, when uh, their offense is going against Duke's defense. So when Hurt comes back in after the under-12 timeout, first defensive play makes a huge block. Then he stays in front of Alvarado on the wing. Then Duke gets the crazy uh, blob alley-oop from Trey to Cassius to pick up the energy. And even after that, Hurt forced uh, right into an off-balance miss off the backboard going to his right. I mean, great defense. So I think just those couple minutes really settled Hurt down. I mean, Hurt's, there's always going to be issues, especially, I mean, against someone like uh, Moses Wright. I mean, the first play of the game, Wright takes Hurt just straight to the hole and just kind of bullies him. Hurt flies off like five feet on the uh, final uh, on the final bounce by Wright to uh, gather in the lane, and it's just, Hurt's going to have trouble. I mean, there's certain teams and opponents which Hurt will be fantastic against. I mean, it's almost, you can predict when it'll happen, and there's certain teams which you kind of, when he's in there, feed him for offense, but you got to worry about his defense and also his rebounding, and I mean, the free throw rate is just, (laughs) right now his ACC free throw rate is a, a grand total of zero, so yeah. I mean, it's interesting because I would like for, I was wondering. I mean, he's in with uh, Vern so much, and I think, oh, it's great. He's providing Vern that space. They're both helping each other. 
but when when Hertz in there without Vern, really nothing much changes. Like he does, he's it's not like he's more aggressive. So when he plays a different style of opponent, then he can maybe get inside a little more. But even so, he's kind of a three point shooter at this point with an occasional uh, mid range jumper. But yeah, he's mostly a three point shooter. So I think with Hurt, you just gotta feed him on offense when he's in there. But I do think he improved on defense. He did adjust. So I think those couple minutes were big time right there. Big time. Um, the biggest issues for Duke, I would say, doubling down low. Uh, similar to Stephen F. Austin, because uh, when when the ball gets into the lane, I don't think Duke has the, the huge issues like some kind of build-through narrative, which uh, get uh, giving up uh, points in the paint because they're allowing dribble drives. It's not working that way. It's about really soft double teams, which still give great angles, give great uh, visibility. And I mean, th- then there's a guy just like wide open underneath the basket. So you got to harass with the double team or else don't do it. Or else just, just trust that somebody can guard their own man. If you're going to double team, double team, like harass the dude. Otherwise, it's a weakness for your team. And I think that's what's happened all- versus Stephen F. Austin and versus uh, Georgia Tech, where whether it's uh, a guard getting in there and having an easy view, an easy passing lane to a, a big or whoever next to the basket, or big to big. I think we've, we've seen that with, with Vern, with uh, Hurt, with Jack White. And, uh, I mean, even, even Javin, it, that doesn't typically happen with him, but it did actually a couple times against Georgia Tech where they just go over to double, and it's immediately the ball just, you see it kind of fling over uh, uh, underneath the basket, wide open. So you got to prevent that easy passing lane. Uh, so yeah, that, that and I mentioned Hurt's physicality on both ends. And again, if, if considering what may have happened, if Tech had any semblance of a bench, or if DeVoe's three-pointer in transition with 245 left went in, which would have given Tech the lead. I think there's a, just a kind of sense of, uh, oh, yeah, Duke, Duke they, they got by, no, no issue. But I don't know. I mean, a play here, play there, and all of a sudden we're kind of searching. Um, and that's even with uh, Tech kind of wearing down. I mean, the Trey's big shots, I mean, it, it was uh, – I love seeing him shoot off the bounce again. Um, he hasn't done that as much as I would have liked. I mean, he actually, I mean, he was injured for a couple games, but since, since he's come back and against Georgia Tech, finally I, I saw him taking those shots off the bounce, and I think he did a really good job kind of running Alvarado all around and then uh, getting around a screen and hitting the mid-range. And then another one, he kind of bullied Parnham the same way right bullied Hurt and did a good job there to hit the final shot, which was a real short jumper. So it's about being smart in terms of when you take them. But, uh, yeah, uh, I, I think uh, in terms of Georgia Tech, they were wearing down at the same time. All right, got to give props to Jack White. Hit a huge three in the second half, made some big plays. And Alex O'Connell, well... Well, he was in there, uh, kind of as Duke was was uh, 
trying to hold a lead in, in the first half when Cassius was out or trying to kind of stay in the game with Cassius out in the first half. Uh, O'Connell actually made a, uh, he, he uh, drove to the hole and scoop layup in to kind of keep Duke within fighting distance, missed the free throw or the and one possibility, but still he shows how he can provide that, that other kind of, level of play where he can not just create for himself but he can also create for others or just create off the bounce in general because without Wendell Moore I mean it's up to uh, Cassius and uh, O'Connell a lot of times and give give Trace some more help and I think that'll that'll be better I think Georgia Tech also made some big mistakes in terms of doubling guys that were unnecessary I think they doubled uh, Javin in the post one time which allowed an easy kick out to O'Connell. Like, what are you doing doubling Javin? There was uh, uh, some doubles. Like, he did, like they doubled um, Jordan Goldwire or went with him. Uh, two guys went with him on the pick and roll, which allowed an easy alley-oop to Vern. And uh, they, they, one of the reasons Matthew Hurt had some open three-pointers was uh, Georgia Tech making some odd decisions. So... That helped as well, and teams, as they play more games, are going to be able to scout the opponents more, so I wouldn't expect that. But, it, I mean, Duke, they, they found a way to win. And a big, something I really liked was that, I mean, similar to kind of Jaleel Okafor, you, you could see at, at certain times that uh, when he was out, Duke looked more free. They looked better, according to people who didn't quite understand what was going on, which led to the Jaleel Okafor theory, or just the Okafor theory. I think it's about how you use the player, and I think K moving Okafor outside a little more at times really helped. It helped open up the lane because Cassius Stanley, he, I mean, he has no issue uh, dunking, I'll say that, but in terms of actually scoring at the rim when he doesn't dunk, he has he he has some issues and he goes up soft a lot, um, sometimes. I mean, he the play where he was blocked two forty five. He was trying to do a finger roll, um, often, uh, and it's just like, what are you doing? There's like three defenders in front of you. Just go strong to the hole. Like he's a he's really straight up and down a lot of times when he tries to convert close in. There's another time he missed an offensive rebound conversion, which it, he was just right in front. So. When he doesn't, when he's not able to dunk, he he does struggle, and a lot of Duke players struggle to score at the rim in contacts. That's been a huge issue this season. So, yeah, hopefully that can improve because the more aggressive he can be, I think that'll improve the foul rate and also just get him in that mentality. So, uh, yeah, but either way, O'Connell he also hit a huge mid-range jumper um, in the second half. That was. Uh, that was when Cassius was for when when he was benched for a couple minutes and Duke was kind of clinging to the lead. They actually uh, built the lead up to a little more, but you can see Georgia Tech just had momentum at that point. It was a matter of time before Tech went on a run. Um, and O'Connell actually had another great play, great steal and uh, dunk later in the game. Goldwire he uh, he provided his usual. Um, Impressive off off ball defense that helped defense. I mean, he he's great at kind of just swiping at the right time. He has a good instinct of when to do that. Uh, he, on offense, he's still kind of a liability at times, 
But on defense, I think overall, more often than not, he he can uh, he can be trusted, and especially when Georgia Tech went to a small lineup with Parnham in the second half. That allowed Duke to have no issues playing both him and Cassius at the same time because my feelings are very clear that uh, I think Trey and Cassius are the best defensive backcourt Duke's ever had during the K era. I said that soon into the season, and I, w- I was I was worried that it would come off as a hot take. And I think uh, over over time, it's proven to not be that at all. I mean, Cassius, uh, I think in um, it was either I think Wofford he was st- he still looked a little hampered from his injury, or at least uh, rusty coming back. By BC, uh, I actually one of my rare, one of my rare tweets I tweeted he, he looks like he's moving like the Cassius of pre Winthrop, and then. Uh, against Miami, like it was on and stayed on against uh, Georgia Tech. He's back to the way it was. So, Cassius. All right, there was a play at like 240 left in the first half, something like that, where there was a loose ball. And I don't think, uh, I, th- I think the momentum, just the timing was off. I, I don't think he could have uh, dove for that ball um, on the ground. And actually, I can't remember who did. It might have been Alvarado. I think it was DeVoe, actually. Who dove and actually I think knocked uh, Cassius in the leg, lower leg, and uh, he looked a little gimpy for a second. But either, either way, the the point of uh, him not going down to on the floor to get the ball is only brought up because of uh, what happened in the second half. I mean, it's odd because Cassius. I mean, he's that dog on Duke. He is the guy that will just he'll eat you alive. And I mean, that's what I've said throughout. I mean, two guys on Duke play the most free, uh, or or at least are kind of have that a different type of attitude that allows them to uh, play at a different level than most in terms, at least in terms of mentally. Cassius is that dog attitude, and uh, Joey Baker is the, is the free attitude. So that's why I like both of them in terms of how, how their mentality is. And Cassius at at seventeen fifteen, he didn't dive for a ball, which he definitely should have. I mean, because I, uh, since I have uh, Comcast Xfinity and they don't offer the AC network because they suck, um, I had to I have to borrow another person's and watch online, and so I don't have DVR then. So I, I saw it. and I'm like, that did that just really happen? Did Cassius really just kind of watch and not get down? Like Kay's not going to be happy with that. Especially considering, like, I mean, that really started Georgia Tech's momentum. And Cassius also threw a really lazy inbounds pass to Carey, which ended up getting stolen. And it's just like, what's going on? Kay benched him, and the way Cassius says it after the game, I feel like Kay used uh, some very, very uh, above PG-13 words. Inappropriate. Not safe for work. But, uh, yeah, Cassius got the message, and... I'm 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 kind of I, I I shouldn't be shocked. I mean, no matter what, yes, he is a 20 year old freshman. But the bottom, like, I think age matters less than the fact that it's just his first year in in uh, playing at this level. That's what matters. I don't care what his age is. Uh, so it's an adjustment, and you have to keep up the intensity at all times. And when he came back, oof, the intensity was there. I mean, right right away. I mean, there was uh, crazy alley oops, crazy highlight plays, and he went full court on a off off a rebound. He was just on fire, 
And that's the cash as Duke needs. Especially in a game where points are at such a premium. He was huge. Huge. Like I, I don't I don't think there's any doubt to the fact that Duke I mean, if he had remained on the bench, like I was hoping, like he better get this message soon. Like, okay, like if he starts moping and K doesn't feel good putting him back in, Duke's gonna lose. And he didn't. It was a couple minutes, and Duke went from, like, up eight to down three. But it worked out. It worked out in the, in the long run, but a big reason for that is Javin Delorier's crazy defense at the at the end. Had, to, had, like, two big blocks, two made free throws. Love it, man. I mean, that alpha glue guy. Alpha glue guy. And uh, Moses Wright... Like, he's a guy who, I mean, he could give Devin Vassell a run for his money for for an ACC most improved player. Vassell was my preseason pick, and that looks good so far. Moses Wright, I don't know, he's a junior. I didn't see, I mean, I don't watch too much other other teams' games, but, man, he didn't, I didn't see anything like this at the first two years from him. It kind of reminds me a little bit of uh, Brandon, another Wright, Brandon Wright on UNC. So, uh yeah, I, I think I, I pretty much covered everything, which is good because I actually have somewhere to be very soon. And uh, one other thing I will mention, Kay just makes these weird comments sometimes. Like he said, teams are now making Vernon Carey the focal point of how they defend Duke. And then I think like he meant to say like that's why Carey was having trouble. Like, what? What are you talking about? Like when, I mean, maybe not versus Kansas, because, like, who knew? Who knows, like, what Duke was at that point? But, like, when has Vernon Carey not been the focal point for how teams defend Duke since then? I don't know. No, it was James Banks. James Banks is one of, if not the best, interior defenders in the country. Like, give him credit. Like, this isn't some, like, Vernon Carey's unstoppable. I know coaches, they, they want they want to provide... Um, confidence in their team. They would. They want to instill confidence. So I, I know what Kay feels comfortable saying and whatnot. But that was an, that was an interesting comment. Like, it is not all of a sudden that teams are uh, defending Vernon Carey as the focal point for Duke. So Duke found a way to win, though. And uh, bottom line, there's not going to be many big men who can play Vernon Carey. There's not many. Uh, Azubuki's, uh, Omer Yurt Sevens, or and James Banks, so that's a good thing. And uh, yeah, so I think Vernon's going to have plenty more good games. Uh, so Duke plays at Wake Forest, the first uh, top hundred team they play at home. I'd like to see Joey Baker get back on track, especially after the last game, um, and get get mentally back on track. Because, uh, I mean, Louisville's coming up soon. One week. That's when the real season starts. So, yeah, I wanted to get this in. And I, I think I covered everything. And, yeah, stick, stick with me. And uh, hopefully you are able to find time to listen to this podcast. But great win for Duke. I don't take anything away except for it's a great win. There's many aspects to look at and think how... Did it, was it in the moment? How can it be projected to the future? But in terms of like who's the best team in the country, who or like or anything like that, or who's the best player in the country, or stuff like that, 
Man, I think it's, it's, I don't know, more fun to stay in the moment. I, I, I understand. Many just kind of love arguing with others. So, yeah, if anybody has any questions about specific aspects of this game or wants me to cover any specific aspects of the Duke team uh, coming up or any matchups or anything, I am always willing. I want to make uh, my email available to everyone to just interact as much as much as possible. Because the worst thing for me is when you get crickets. And I want this to be for other people. I love doing this. But the, the reason I started doing it more and more is because I love talking about Duke. But I want to talk about Duke with people. I'm not, I don't want to talk about it with a computer. It's still weird to record a solo. But it is what it is. And yeah, like it was fun. I mean, this was a great game. Like I, I hope it can... Uh, be heard how excited I am to talk about this because yeah I mean it's only the third intense game I love it I, like I guess it's good when Duke wins by a billion but this game shows you more than anything you could have learned from Miami so yeah I, I would say versus Wake Forest I think Hurt might have a, a much better matchup today or should have a, have a better matchup today than Georgia Tech Hopefully Baker can get back on track, and I think Vern will get back to his old self. But there'll be a lot to talk about for next time. So, uh, yeah, rate, rate, review, do what you do for the wherever you listen for the Duke Basketball Corner podcast. I am Adam Comero. I will be talking to you soon.